We are in 2020 and we're calling the series that we're doing 2020 Vision because we would like to have not perfect vision, but as we said last week, we would like to have good vision. We'd like to not only have our physical eyes corrected to the point where we could see what we should be able to see, but we'd like spiritually to do the same. So we're going to be doing for the first two months a sermon series based on biblical passages that help us to understand just some of the basics of how we should live together as Christians and how we should live out our faith. Once we get to March, we'll come back with a book study where we'll be studying through one of the books of the Bible. But for now, we're going to be taking a look at these different passages that lay out for us some things about making them priorities in our own spiritual life. This morning's I'm calling 3-2-1-GO, which is certainly how you start a race. You've all seen the countdown where the person is holding the gun there, ready, three, two, one, gun goes off, and the racers. It's also for us something different. Not only is it a command for us to be active in our Christian faith, but we're going to make it very real for us as a church, and we're going to ask our congregation to identify three people to pray for. I want you to think about that. We're going to talk about that a lot. Who are three people in your life that you could pray for? Secondly, we're going to ask you to invite two people. That could be to church. That could be to an Easter egg hunt. That could be to a faith group that you attend. And then last, we're going to ask you to start considering bringing one person. We have a person right now, interestingly, who would like to come to church. A single mom doesn't live far from here. She needs somebody to bring her. She doesn't have a car. She needs somebody to pick her up. So if you are so moved to do that, you can accomplish bringing one simply by talking to Pastor Stan. But see, it's very concrete stuff about making our faith real. But it begins with prayer. Prayer. It's important that you and I learn why we pray. The text that I'm looking at is Jesus' final words to his disciples. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28 that Jesus was up on the hilltop and he was getting ready to ascend into heaven and he gave his final marching orders to his church. Now I often pause when I think about this text and I think, what would be my final words to a church? What would be my final words to my family? If I had one last thing that I knew this was a last thing that I was able to talk to somebody about, those would certainly be very important words. And that's where you find Jesus right here. He's talking to his disciples, knowing this is his last opportunity to convey to them what's important. And so he gives us in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, what we call the Great Commission. And I believe it begins with prayer. Because the beginning of the text, as he talks to his disciples, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If all authority has been given to Jesus then we need to do something about it. Now, I like to do some word studies from time to time in a sermon, and so I'd like to quiz you. What does the word all mean? All. <laughs> it means all. He begins by saying all. All authority. Hey, I have everything of something. All. Now, if you were coming in contact with somebody who had a whole lot of money you would probably want to talk to them, wouldn't you? There'd probably be a person that, hey, if this was a very wealthy person, you might think, hey, here's somebody I'd like to have a conversation with. That's why we have our little emoji lady up here. 
It seems that when people win the lottery, they very often don't want anybody to know who they are because they don't want anybody to talk to them. And they figure that if people know who they are, then everybody's going to talk to them and ask them for the, what, the same thing. What are they going to get asked for? Money. So this woman was very creative. She won $180,900,000. And instead of showing up and letting anybody know who she was, she wore an emoji mask. You can read all about her on the internet. But that got me thinking about this whole thing of, of Jesus and authority. Unlike a lottery winner who, if they win a whole bunch of money, doesn't want anybody to talk to them, Jesus, who has all authority, wants us to talk to him. You hear the difference? Somebody who's wealthy may do everything they can to be anonymous, to keep conversations at bay. The Savior that you and I serve is the opposite. He asks us to pray and talk to him and invites us to, does not coerce us to. Sometimes I feel like we talk about prayer as this is something we must do. Well, if I said to you, there's a lottery winner who moved in next door and is giving out money, I wouldn't have to force you to go talk to them, would I? So why should we be forced into talking to Jesus? Because he says to us, I've got all authority. Now, if you don't believe me, look at what the word authority means. The authority is a Greek word. It's a compound word. And the Greek word is exousia. Ex means out of, and ousia means property. So the idea of authority in the Greek language was authority is something that is derived from something that we own. Think about that for a moment. That is actually the way authority really works. A 16-year-old will come to me and say, Pastor Stan, I've got a problem. Sure, what's your problem? I don't like my parents' rules. Well, we've got a problem for, for sure. And they go, what, my parents need to change the rules? No, you need to understand they own the house you're living in. The person who owns the house gets to make the rules of the house, amen? Now imagine you have your car that's sitting here, and I said to you all, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to let you all know, a bunch of people came and took all your cars this morning, and you had no say over it. You'd say, oh no, you can't do that, that's my car, I have the authority over my car. You're right, out of owning the property... There is the ability to be the person who has authority over something and can make the decisions. What Jesus is telling us is all authority is from him. He owns it all. That's amazing. That's an incredible observation. His authority comes from his ownership. And so since we want to speak to those who maybe won a lottery to make our case... What should we do with the one who owns everything on heaven and earth? He shouldn't make us talk to him, should he? We should want to have that conversation. That's why when you take the beginning of Jesus' last words, it leads us to the inevitable consequence of saying, if all authority comes from our Savior, then we should want to talk to him, and that's called prayer. And that's why Jesus invited his disciples that day to the mountaintop to remind them that he had all authority, that he was going to be with them forever, that no matter what you and I face, no matter how dark the moment or no matter how good things are, we still can talk to the one who owns it all and the only one who really can do anything. And that's why, starting the new year, I'm seriously asking you, 
identify three people to pray, to pray for. If we get nothing else out of this sermon series, let's get that one down. Who are three people that you feel God would have you pray for? Who are three people on your heart? It could be you yourself. You might say, you know, the person who's really struggling is me. I need to pray for myself, and I need to pray for God's intervention in my life. But it could be someone else. Who are the people God lays in your heart to pray for? Make it real. Write them down. Keep them in front of you. Pray for them. Don't just pray for them thinking, oh, this is a nice exercise, but take their name to Jesus knowing you're taking it to the one who has all authority. Amen? Amen. It's a different way of understanding our relationship with God and our starting the new year. It's just about prayer. And that's why I want to give you a little quiz right now. I think you can all get it. How do you spell the word spot? How do you spell the word spot? S-P-O-T. Good. And what do you all do at a green light? Oh, I'm glad you all stopped. You're supposed to go at a green light. I get my congregation every time with that one. I can't wait till I use it and someday the entire congregation goes, oh, that one again, go. We go. And that's the other part of what Jesus is saying. He's not saying be Christians who stop. He's being saying be Christians who go. Once we understand that all authority comes from Christ, that he owns it all and we can take loved ones to him in prayer, now we're told to go. Go therefore, he says. Go therefore and make disciples. I like that word therefore. Whenever there is a therefore in Scripture, you should always see what the therefore is therefore. Why should we go? Because Jesus has authority and he tells us to go. Why should we go? Because we've already been praying for people, and therefore now we should go and do something about it. Yes, we pray, but there's something else as we start the new year that we all need to understand as Christians. There's a responsibility that you and I have, not just to pray, it's an important thing to do, but also to put our actions where our prayers are. The word go is the Greek word puramai, and it literally means to travel. doesn't mean to go in our head. See, I'm good at that one too. I will go to the store for you, honey. Regina says, thank you. Did you go? Well, no, but I'm thinking about it. Where's the milk? Oh, yeah, I forgot to get it. Oh, when you went to the store? Well, I'm not quite there yet. Well, did you go to Market Basket? No, but I promised you I would. You see, we can kind of become like that as Christians, can't we? Go, we're told, and we sort of think about it. We sort of fantasize about it. We think about what it would be like to go talk to somebody. But we don't put it into practice. And that's why the word literally means to travel. That's an action word. That's a do something about it. When Jesus died on the cross and they put his body in the tomb, Pilate said go to his people who he sent to the tomb. He said, travel there. Go there, guards, and put up a rock. He didn't say, think about it. He said, go. Travel to where the tomb is and put a rock up in front of it. What Jesus tells us to do is to pray for people and now go and talk to them. 
this is exciting. This is amazing. The person who has all authority in the world, the one who we can pray to, the one who we can talk to, now tells us to go and tell other people about him? That's good news, folks. The one who changed our life, the one who helped us overcome the guilt of the past, the one who continues to work in our life, no matter where we are, no matter what's going on in our life, he's present, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving us, caring for us, guiding us, helping us through our hurts and our pains. He now invites us to do something and go and talk to someone else. I'd recently moved to Massachusetts, and when I came here, I had moved here from Indiana, where I'd gone to college for four years. And if you know anything about the time that I moved here, that was in the early 80s, 1982. And if you think about where I had lived, I was in Indiana, there's a pretty famous basketball player who came from Indiana at the same time. His name was Larry Bird. Now, Larry Bird had gone to the University of Indiana, and it was big news when Mr. Basketball Larry Bird had switched from the University of Indiana over to Indiana State and took that little university that was never very good in basketball and had made them a national contender, which meant every single Saturday I got to sit and watch television and watch Larry Bird play basketball. It was great. Made it all the way to the national championship where, of course, he went up against Magic Johnson and Indiana State lost to Michigan State. Magic Johnson goes out to Los Angeles. Larry Bird comes to Boston. Now I come to Massachusetts. How great. This great basketball player who I got to see when I was in college is now playing for the Boston Celtics, and I was really excited because I was a Boston Celtics fan. So I used to now turn on the TV and watch the games when I was out here. I thought it was very cool that you could get the Boston Celtics games on the television. And then I went in 1983 to my first church, and they did the whole interview, and at the end of it, it was decided that I was going to be the pastor, and a guy named Elkin came to me after the meeting, and he walked up and he said, I have a gift for my new pastor. I said, sure, what's that? And he handed me an envelope that had five Boston Celtics tickets in it. These weren't just any Celtics tickets. These were tickets for the Boston Celtics to play the Los Angeles Lakers. Five seats together. Bird and magic. Now, the story gets better. They were right on center court, and guess who was behind me? Red Arbach. These are great seats. Well, I immediately knew what to do with my five seats. I gave one to my wife, and I gave one to my good friend Rich. So we had three tickets. Now we had two tickets to invite somebody to come to the game with us, and we started to discover a problem. Every single person I knew either wasn't a Celtics fan didn't like basketball or was from somewhere else in the country and didn't care. So we started inviting people and we couldn't get takers. Think about that. I'm sitting here with two tickets that probably today I could get 2,500 bucks each for and I could not give these things away. I invited people. I was excited. I called somebody on the phone and said, these are great seats. Would you like to come with me? Yeah, no, I'm from Philadelphia. I don't really care. I don't care about the Celtics. I go, this is bird and Magic Johnson. It didn't matter. I finally was able to give away one of the seats. Truth, story. The last seat, Regina and I are standing outside of the Boston Garden, just handed it to somebody. Some anonymous person got a free ticket to come sit beside us. What's my point? If you're going to pray for people and invite people and have something awesome and great, it doesn't mean they're going to respond. It does not mean that they're going to see what you and I see. 
It doesn't mean when we share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone else that someone else gets as excited as we are. They may think it doesn't matter. We don't force it on them. We don't coerce it to them. Jesus didn't say, go therefore in all the world and force people to come to church. He didn't say anything like that at all. Go therefore and make disciples. Invite. Go and share God's love. Go and tell somebody, we had a fellowship meal at our church on the first Sunday of each month. Would you like to come to worship with me? And I'll introduce you to some people. And you might get some people who say no, but that's okay. Because we follow the instructions that our Savior gave us. He's standing on the mountain and he says, go therefore and invite. And what do we get to invite? Not people just to a basketball game. We get to invite them to get to know Jesus. Wow. That's a pretty important person we get to invite people to get to know. Do you know what the New York Times said about Jesus recently? They said there are many varieties of fame. Jesus Christ was the first person to achieve it globally without conquering the world by violence. You hear that? We get to invite people to get to know the Savior of this world, the one who gave his life for us, who got world fame not because he conquered, not because he had an army, but because he spread love and grace and forgiveness and learned to have a relationship in which your life is changed. And learn to have somebody who heals the hurts in our lives. That's pretty cool that we get to do. But for us to do it, we need to do it. Now I invite you to identify two people to invite. That's all. Just identify them. I'm not going to ask you to invite yet, but I'm going to start asking you, do you have three people you can pray for and two people you'd like to invite? Now you may feel that the easiest way to invite them is to an Easter egg hunt. We have an Easter egg hunt. That's a good way to do it. You may to bring them to a Bible study. We might want to invite them to worship. But if we're going to do the business of what Christ tells us and live into the new year, the kind of life that our Savior tells us to live, let's live the life that our Savior tells us to live. Amen, folks? It's hard, but it's valuable. Because I'm sorry, I, I observe this world the same as you. How's it going for people out there? Everybody all real happy and thrilled? I'm not talking about to hear and worship this morning. What's our society doing? People are hurting. And people have this God-sized hole in their life, and they're trying to fill it with all kinds of stuff, and it's not working very well. And we as Christians get the opportunity to pray and to just invite people and say, hey, you know, I'd like to invite you. What it's ultimately about, it's about learning to who, know who my Savior is, learning to know who I follow and why Jesus makes a difference in my life. Which is why the last thing I'd like to talk to us about is not just pray and go, going to invite, but this whole word disciple. Do you know that when we invite people, when we share with others, or when we look at ourselves, it should all be about being a disciple. Listen to what Jesus tells us. Last words that he utters to any of us. And he says, go, therefore, make disciples. Hear that? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Last words our Savior utters. Go and make disciples. Disciple means pupil. It means to be a student. It means to learn at the master's feet. 
Jesus asks us to invite others to learn who he is. And you know, folks, there's not a bait and switch here. It's not like we invite people to come to get to know Jesus and then we're going to ask them to do some crazy, ridiculous thing. That's just not the case with Jesus. We're going to invite people to have a relationship with Jesus so they can learn what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. What it means to have the Savior of the world, their friend, who's with them no matter what goes on in their life. They're invited to go to get to know Jesus and to learn at his feet, to learn to live the way that he invites us to live our life, which is an awesome way to live. Now, most of us have had bait and switches happen in our life. That's when somebody tells us one thing and they're really trying to do something else. We're not about that. We are never about bait and switch in the church. A number of years ago, as you may or may not know, I'm a, I'm a huge vinyl collector. I love records. In fact, somebody from the first service left a whole bunch of records on my desk they were getting rid of. Love that. Just a little PR on the side. You want to get rid of records? Don't throw them away. Bring them to Pastor Stan. But a few years ago, I went up to Boston to buy a turntable for my son, Todd. And he went his first turntable. So we went to a store, a little used store, and picked out the turntable, had it all purchased, and paid for it. And the guy said, oh, I'm sorry. I was watching when somebody says, oh, I'm sorry. I should have grabbed the turntable and walked out the store. But I didn't. He said, oh, I'm sorry. It's got the wrong cord with it. I said, huh? He goes, oh, but I have a new cord. So we unplugged the power cord in the back of the, the turntable and plugged in a new power cord, one that was worth $75 less than the one that I had just purchased. And then he said, oh, wait, one other thing. I'm sorry. It's got the wrong needle and cartridge. Now, I had just purchased it. Now, the bait and switch is like, I need to change the needle and cartridge. But don't worry, I'm putting on a better one. So I noticed what he took off, and I noticed what he put on. So now I've purchased this turntable with a power cord that's worth $75 less and a needle and cartridge that's worth $200 less. And instead of getting the good deal that he had promised me, he bait and switched me. Happens all the time in life. People promise us one thing and they're giving us something different. We're not about that. Neither is Jesus. Amen? We're not about bait and switch. When we tell people, we'd like to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus, the one who has all authority, who loves you and forgives you and extends grace and is going to, no matter what, be with you to the end of the age, no matter what you face, God will be with you. No matter what, Jesus will forgive you. No matter what, he will teach you how to live your life better. That's who we're inviting people to. And so much so that he even tells us right here what we're going to be asking people if they want to give their life to Christ. He says, make disciples meaning learn, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I have uh, commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Baptize, the word means to wash or immerse. It represents starting over. If we're going to invite people into relationship with Christ, yeah, baptism is part of it because it's a washing literally on the outside of what happens on the inside. So it's an invitation to realize that when we are in Christ, we get to start over. What do we get baptized into? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because we believe in a triune God. One God who exists in three persons and we get to follow not our own thoughts but the commands of Jesus. And if somebody asks us, what are the commands of Jesus? Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Do good to those who intend you harm. Turn the other cheek. Forgive as you've been forgiven. 
a lot of commands that people are going to learn, aren't they? But they're all about learning to live for Christ and having a better life. This is why we have 66 books in the Bible, no more, no less. We don't need any more and we don't need any less. And, and if somebody is a little confused by it all and says, well, I don't understand what you're inviting, say, well, here's the book that we're going to be talking about because, you know, if I'm going to invite a friend to come to church, they better know what the source is. There's not another one. There's not another book that's hiding under the pews that we're going to pull out and say, well, this is really the one that we're going to teach you from. So in the new year, let's take serious. Three, two, one, go. Jesus invites us to go into all the world. And that means to start with the people that we love. And I believe if it begins with authority, it means we pray for people. It means we pray. And I don't want to get more complicated than that as we end our message this morning. I want to start with the prayer. I want you to think about who are the people that you need to pray for. And if you can come up with a list of three people, that's a good place to start. And as we end our worship service, instead of inviting you to come pray for yourself, if there's somebody that you know that you need to pray for and you want somebody up front to pray with you, I invite you to come forward and have somebody have a prayer with you for that person. We all have people who need Christ in their life. We all have people that we care about, that we see that they're struggling or, or things really need to change. Pray for them but also share in a safe and a comfortable way in a place like our worship service and have somebody else offer the prayer for them. So as our music starts and we close our service, let's remember Jesus' last words to us. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. Therefore, you want to talk to somebody who owns it? Talk to Jesus. And now go. Go. Go spread the message. Go share it with somebody else. Invite them to all the world. That means our friends. That means our families. That means our kids. That means our parents, our grandparents. It means anybody that we know that's hurting and needs Christ. I hope this year that as we set these priorities of what it means to be a church and what it means to be Christians, we don't just hear about it on Sunday morning and forget about it, but we put it into action.